Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hello, hello. This is Corey Russell, and I just want to say it's a great honor to be able to speak to the city in Singapore and be able to just, you know, contribute in the midst of this series on prayer that you're doing here at the beginning of this year. I think it's absolutely critical that we take the first fruits of our year and sow it into the place of seeking God's face, prayer, fasting, intercession, worship, and prioritizing this. And I believe that it's in this time of the year where the Lord will release strategies from heaven about how we are to walk uh, and to bring the kingdom into our spheres of influence. It's an honor with you. And so I'm going to just jump right in and uh, open my heart to you. This is something that I care deep about as far as prayer, intercession, all of this stuff. I uh, A little bit about me before we jump in. I um, I got radically saved in 1997. I am uh, originally from Arkansas in the States and got hit by the power of God in a college parking lot in 1997. And a friend of mine went through an intense season and he came to Jesus. And then two weeks later on February 18th, he took me to lunch and he shared the gospel with me. I wanted nothing to do with it. And so I told him to take me back to school. And when he went back to school, I uh, he pulled into the college parking lot right before I got out of the van. I felt the Holy Spirit fill the van. And I didn't know what I was feeling, but I knew that the I knew something had changed in the van. And I began to feel the power of God, the presence of God began to shake like I was having a seizure. And I, t- I saw a tug of war battle between light and darkness over my soul. And my friend pulled in the back of the parking lot and he began to pray. And he, after a little bit of praying, he began to take authority over different things. And I couldn't breathe. And I knew I had to get out the name Jesus, but all I could get out was G's. And so I kept trying to say the name Jesus. All I could get out was G's. And finally, I took a deep breath and screamed his name at the top of my lungs, Jesus. And the power of the evil one was broken off of me. And it was like God came and breathed into my mouth. And for about the next five minutes, I sat there saying, I've got air, I've got air, I've got air. And and then about five minutes later, I heard a voice as clear as day coming to my mind. The voice said, Corey, I want you to get out of the van and I want you to get on the pavement in this college parking lot. And I want you to give me your life, your mind. So it was February 18th, 1997. I jump out of a van into a college parking lot, kids running everywhere. And I scream at the top of my lungs, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I'm yours. And on that, in that supernatural moment, I passed from death to life, forgiven of all my sins, the power of the devil broken off of me. And I remember going home for that afternoon, absolutely undone by how blue the sky was, how green the grass was and how loud the birds were. It's like I had been dead for 20 years and, and, and I was finally alive for the first time. Well, what was powerful is that within a month, I had a drug ring of friends that began to have encounters like that one or bigger in their explosions. I ended up leading my little brother to the Lord who was still in the high school. And over the next six months, we saw a move of God hit our small town. Half the high school came to Jesus or the backslidden came back. And and I remember it was five meetings a week till three in the morning. My first six months were five meetings a week till three in the morning. And 
I began to connect the dots in that early season that what I was experiencing in this move of God was the result and of the years and decades of faithful intercession that preceded what I was experiencing. I connected those dots. And so I began to gravitate to these older women intercessors in our church. And I spent the majority of my first two years walking with the Lord in prayer meetings with these women who taught me how to pray. They taught me about early morning prayer. They taught me about late night prayer. They taught me about praying the Bible, praying in the spirit, praying through burdens where the Lord lays hold of you. And I really cut my teeth in those formative years in the place of prayer. And that was in 1997 and 1998, I married my wife. In 99, we had our first daughter and the Lord just began to increase upon me this longing for prayer and to give my life to prayer. That was truly the vision statement of my life, giving it to the Lord in prayer. And so that's what led us to Kansas City to join the International House of Prayer in 2000, where we would spend from 2000 to January 2019, our family spent the next 18 years there in Kansas City serving on the the leadership team at the House of Prayer. And it was glorious. I, I never had a vision for anything else other than being in that prayer room, praying, fasting, and crying out for historic revival. And that's what still marks me today. Three years ago, our family moved to uh, Dallas, Texas to join the upper room team in Dallas, Texas. And it's where we've been for the last three years. I'm giving leadership in the prayer room, discipling our students in the place of prayer. And I am, you know, I'm getting close to 45 years old. And so I jumped into this whole thing. I got saved at 20, moved to Kansas City about 22. And I've been in this thing of seeking God in prayer for, you know, you know, 22 years, 23 years now of 30 plus hours a week of seeking God in this way. And I have gotten so wrecked over the call of prayer in this hour like no other time. And I believe that the the years, the decades that I have prepared in the place of prayer are most needed for the church in this hour. And I believe that God is calling the church to prayer. And, um, you know, the Lord really uses two ingredients in calling us to the place of prayer. I call it his presence and pressure. You know, the glory of encountering him and his love, as well as pressure points in our lives that deliver us from our own wisdom and strength and abilities and finances and resources and drives us to our knees. That's really the two ways of God. His kindness and his discipline bring us into the place of prayer. And I've seen both of those over the last 20 something years do it in my life and over the last two years in the globe, I have begun to see the Holy Spirit begin to highlight this issue with the global pandemic with unsettling, you know, the unsettling in the nations, the, the turbulence in the nations, the, in my nation, the racial conflicts and the, uh, and the, the difficulty with election cycles. I know it touches the whole earth and I have no doubts that it's touched you in Singapore, but we, I believe we've crossed over into a new season in 2020. I believe 2020 was a global reset for the whole earth and specifically for the body of Christ, because I believe that the body of Christ is called to be God's agent of mercy into the earth. The the body of Christ is God's agent of mercy, his vehicle of mercy into the earth. 
And judgment always begins in the house of God. First Peter talks about this, that judgment begins, which means there's a comes a discipline. And I believe that there has been a, a discipline for the body of Christ in this hour and her leaders. And, and I believe that God is sounding an alarm to the earth, calling his people to prayer. It's always been a nice, yeah, I know I need to get about it, but I believe he is beginning to increase the volume by which he is saying this. And, and this is what shocks me so much. And I want to talk into prayer during our, our time together today. The, the disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus. They, they heard every message. They witnessed every miracle. They witnessed every deliverance, saw every amazing thing Jesus did. And yet it wasn't preaching, healing, or deliverance they asked the, uh, Jesus to teach them in. We have the famous phrase, Luke 11, verse 1. It says that when Jesus was praying in a certain place, that when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, I think that is where the Lord is bringing the church in this hour is the disciples' cry of teach us to pray because we've learned everything else. We've learned how to preach better, do cell groups, home groups better. We've learned how to influence culture better. We have learned to develop our seven mountains better. We have grown in every area, but the one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them in, and I believe that's the missing piece for the church. Several things strike me about this. Number one, Jesus lived such a life as a leader, they wanted his prayer life. There's number two, Jesus prayed in front of his disciples. I believe God is calling leaders out of the closet and the need for corporate prayer in this hour where leaders lead the prayer meeting and where leaders are modeling a life of prayer that provokes the question. I remember about 2017, several years ago, where I'm asking the Lord, I'm reading through Luke 11 saying, Lord, teach me to pray, teach me to pray. And the Lord said, Corey, I want you to join me in teaching the next generation to pray. And I have a question for you, Corey. Does anybody want your prayer life? Is anybody asking you about your prayer life? And it was an indictment and I wanted to feel it. And I feel like God's posing that question to us in this hour and I'll pose it to you, whether you're a leader in the church, a leader in business, a leader in your home, does anybody want your prayer life? I have a vision for our kids to wake up early in the morning and to run into the living room and see mom or dad or mom and dad sitting on the couch, Bible open, notebook open, worship music on, and then the kid is going to see tears rolling down mom and dad's cheeks as they talk to Jesus. Do you understand that that will mark them more than a hundred sermons about what they need to do in following Jesus? Your kids will remember your tears when talking to Jesus far more than just your words about following Jesus. I believe he's reframing this. They asked him, teach us to pray. Well, Jesus in, in the Lord's prayer is going to deal the death blow because I, I believe it. You know, a, a writer on prayer, Ian Bounds said this famous, he says, it was worth a trip from heaven to earth to teach men how to pray. It was worth a trip. And I believe, and, I, and this is a personal belief, I believe outside the cross, I believe Jesus's life of prayer left the greatest mark on those disciples. That's a big statement. I believe Jesus's life of prayer left 
the greatest mark on the disciples outside of the cross because he exemplified dependence. He exemplified humility. He exemplified desperation. He exemplified prayer in all things. He prayed when the 70 returned and had cast out the spirits and he rejoiced in the Father. He prayed in joy and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane where great drops of blood. He prayed on the cross. His first message in the Sermon on the Mount was about prayer. And his last message in the Olivet Discourse was about prayer. Prayer wasn't salt on the meal or a side subject for Jesus. It was the bone, the marrow, the DNA of his very existence. Jesus came to the earth to teach us how to pray. Well, and he's going to deal with many of our misunderstandings of prayer that I think is really critical of the first parts of the Lord's Prayer. You can look at this in Luke 11, we know it well. And Jesus is going to turn prayer on its head because he says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That That's very striking to me when I read that, number one, Jesus doesn't start teaching us to pray by asking for something. And yet that right there, I would say, is one of the greatest strongholds of prayer. While prayer is not very attended, our prayer meetings are not very highly attended. While prayer becomes boring, while prayer becomes just monotonous, it's because I believe we've turned prayer into formulas. We've turned prayer into systems and we've lost the very core understanding of prayer, it's about relationship. It's about relationship with God as Father. I always love to do this with people because Jesus doesn't start with asking for something. He says, okay, you, you want to learn about prayer? Okay, well, I want you to write down everything you need me to fix in your life. Let's write down your prayer list, okay? Save my cousin. You know, heal my grandmother. Touch my parents. I need money. <laughs> I need money. I need money. And he, and he says, okay, you got your list. He goes, yes. Give me your list. He takes the list. He looks at it. He says, I love you. And then he, he rips our list and he says, I need to teach you about prayer and I need to correct your paradigms about prayer. Because when you think about prayer, you think about a list. When I think about a prayer, I think about a person and I want to introduce you to him. The core revelation of prayer is the revelation of God as Father. That's why Father's house is the house of prayer. And the revelation of God as Abba is absolutely critical to growing in intimacy, security, vulnerability, and authority in the place of prayer. That might be a hard one for some of you because the idea of a father stirs up negative emotions or negative thoughts, but I want you to know that our Father in heaven is unlike any earthly father you've ever encountered. He is the Father of glory, is what Paul calls him. He's the Father of lights, is what James calls him. Hebrews calls him the Father of spirits. He's the Father of mercies, and Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. He is the Father, I need you to understand this, our Father is an inexhaustible storehouse of goodness, righteousness, love, power, and goodness. So his ability, he is rich in love, but I need you to understand he's not just rich. Father is generous. Father is generous. He is the lavish Father 
that lavishly bestows his love upon us. First John 3, it says, behold what manner of love this is that God has called us children. He is the father that encounters the prodigal son in Luke 15 and robes him and clothes him and kisses him and embraces him while he's still a great way off. And then he runs out to the older son bound in religion and encounters him to call him into the house. The father is good and Jesus came to reveal God as father. I wanna call you to the revelation of, of God as father. Number two, he says in heaven, we need to understand that prayer is a throne room ministry. Prayer is a throne room ministry. Revelation four gives us the snapshot of what life looks like in the throne room of God. We see our father sitting on his throne, shining like Jasper, burning like Sardius, emerald rainbows surrounding him. We see 24 thrones surrounding him and on them sit elders and they're robed and they're throned and they're crowned and from the throne proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices. A sea of glass before the throne, seven lamps of fire which are burning before the throne. And we see this and then we see it around the throne and in the midst of the throne are four living creatures. The Bible says that they have eyes around and within. One looks like a lion, one like an ox, one has a face of a man, and one is like a flying eagle. And the Bible says they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, to him who was and is and is to come. They do not rest. Friends, when Jesus said in heaven, he is, what he's doing is he is orienting our perspective. He is orienting our perspective in prayer that when you pray, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. It's actually something that I've been thinking about because several times in the gospels, it says specifically, Jesus lifted his eyes. And I would say that for the body of Christ in this hour, we need to lift our eyes. Jesus lifted his eyes before he fed the 5,000. He lifted his eyes before he raised Lazarus from the dead. And in John 17, one, right after saying, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Right after that, it says he lifted his eyes and said, Father, the hours come, glorify your son that he may glorify you. What, what, what is Jesus teaching us? It's about orienting your perspective. Who are you talking to? Where does he live? And who are you to him? That's where prayer begins is Father in heaven. I hear some people say, well, man, it don't sound very practical to think on those things. Yet Colossians 3 tells us to set our minds on things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Isn't that amazing? Sitting at the right hand of God. Do you know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now? The most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Psalm 110, verse one, where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He continues by saying, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. That Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he also tells us that, our life is hidden with Christ in God so that actually in Ephesians 2, 6 says that we've been raised and seated together with him in the heavenly places. 
This is a call to the body of Christ in this hour is to lift our eyes and to anchor our hope, not in news channels, not in what Twitter tells us or what in social media or what the what the stock market is telling us, but we are called to anchor our affections, anchor our perspective and anchor our hope in the throne room. We must come out of the secular narrative and come in to the biblical narrative. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And this is glorious because when Jesus is teaching us about prayer, he's telling us, he gives it. He goes, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. And then he gives us what the angels are singing. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Jesus connects us to the throne room and says, you need to get acquainted with this place. You need to set your affections upon this place. You need to fill your mind with Revelation 4 and Daniel 7 and Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6 and Exodus 24. These throne room pictures that talk about the glory of the throne room. It's absolutely important for the church in this hour or or hopelessness, depression, and despair will weigh down your heart. It's absolutely critical. Jesus is not only sitting at the right hand of the Father. Friends, Jesus is engaging in the ministry of intercession right now. Do you know Jesus is in full-time ministry right now? He's not just sitting back there just waiting till he comes. No, the Bible says also in Psalm 110 verse 4, he says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, which means that Jesus's kingdom is ruled and released and mediated through the ministry of priesthood through intercession, and that you and I are joined into that same reality. I believe it's really important for the body of Christ to, one, see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Number two, this is a verse that I want you to look at with me. Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25. It says that Jesus is able, he is able to say to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is always living to make intercession for you. So the first thing is seeing him there. Number two, receiving his intercession for you because you can't join him until you receive from him. You can't join him until you receive from him. Right now he's in intercession, so I ask the question, what does Jesus's intercession look like? Is he rocking like Lou Engel or some intercessor out there? Is he pacing? Maybe. Is he waving a flag? Maybe. (laughs) Is he blowing a shofar? Maybe. But as I wrestled over scripture and the book of Hebrews give us a lot of insight into this, I have found three specific ways in which Jesus makes intercession for us right now. Number one, Hebrews 9.24 It says that he has entered into heaven itself to stand in the presence of God for us. I believe that his presence in heaven makes intercession for humanity. The very fact he is there makes intercession for us. Number two, I believe his blood makes intercession. Hebrews 12, 24 says that his blood cries out a better word than that of Abel's, okay? We know the story in Genesis where Cain kills Abel and 
The Lord walks in there and says, where's your brother? And he goes, am I brother's keeper? And he goes, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. Where Abel's blood was crying out justice, 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 Jesus's blood on the mercy seat in heaven is crying out on your behalf, mercy, mercy, mercy. His blood cries because Leviticus tells us the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood and his blood cries out on yours and my behalf. And number three, so it's his presence, his blood, and number three, his words. I believe Jesus is speaking words before the Father in heaven. I believe that he is praying John 17, those 26 verses. I believe he's praying Psalm 2, verse 8, ask of me and I'll give nations as your inheritance. I believe he's praying similar things for you and me. Luke twenty-two thirty-one is an amazing verse. I want you to look at Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Thank you, Jesus. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Here it is. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. He's speaking to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. This is absolutely amazing. Jesus looks at Peter the night of his betrayal and says, Peter, I need you to understand something. Satan came to me and he asked me if he could take his best shot at you, if he could sift you as wheat. And I can imagine Peter's looking at him saying, you told him no, didn't you? He goes, no, I told him to take his best shot (laughs) on one condition. On one condition, I get to pray for him. Think about that. He goes, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And after you've returned, strengthen your brothers. I don't know about you, but I believe the last two years, but I would even say the last decade, I have felt the intercession of Jesus. Many of you right now, you have gone through difficult seasons. You have gone through difficulties in your marriage, in your business, in the ministry, with your children, with relationships. You've walked through difficulties. And I wanna tell you, you are here today loving Jesus and loving his church because there is a man who has prayed for you. His prayers carried you through your darkest storms when you wanted to quit. His prayers strengthened you when you wanted to give up. His prayers kept you in perfect peace when anxiety was about to take you down. When fear was knocking at your door, his prayer brought in the perfect love of God. Friend, you need to understand there is a man at the right hand who forever lives to make intercession for you. And his prayers have carried you and you need to receive that because you can't join him until you receive from him. You can't join him until you receive from him. And I believe this is what he is giving to us in this hour. So the first thing is, number one, seeing him at the right hand of the Father. Number two, receiving his intercession for you. And number three, joining him in his intercession for others. Romans 8.26 says that we need help. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us or with us with groanings which are too deep to be uttered. 
that right now the Holy Spirit is making intercession in us for the will of God and the purpose of Jesus is about you joining him in his intercession for the world. The Lord wants to bring you into his heart in a greater way in 2022. He wants to bring you into his heart and his burdens for others. And he wants to deliver you from it always being about you. He wants to liberate you from you so you can join him in his labor for the world to be saved. He wants to pull us into that place of intercession for the lost and dying world. The power of our prayers, the power of our songs, the power of our tears, the power of our groanings, the power of our agreement with heaven, though it may feel weak to us, it is mighty in heaven. I believe God is sounding an alarm and he's calling his people to the place of prayer in 2022. I believe that he is calling us, no matter what other seasons have looked like, this is a high time to remove some things from your life and begin to find yourself in the place of prayer. It's so interesting to me, Jesus gives them, Jesus teaches us about prayer and he says, okay, and this is how I've summed up and I wanna take you back to Luke 11 and I wanna look at a few other things. Luke 11, that they asked him to teach them how to pray. And the first lesson of prayer, I would say, I would kind of define it like this. It's learning how to walk through the open door. It's learning how to walk through the open door into heaven. The door is open and the door is Christ. His blood has paved the way. He has given us access to the throne of grace that we may find grace and help and mercy in time of need. We have access and you walk through that door. You don't knock on that door, you walk through it. It's faith in the finished work of the cross. That's number one. Number two is the parable that Jesus gave us right after he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus gives us a parable in Luke 11 and he says, there is also another aspect of prayer you need to understand. And this kind of praying is, and Jesus gives us a picture saying, okay, let's picture you're asleep one night. Okay, it's late, it's midnight, you're asleep. And all of a sudden, you hear a knock at your door. You're startled as you wake up and you stagger to the front door and you open the door and you encounter a friend of yours that's been on a journey and the friend is in need of bread. And bread through scripture speaks of the life of the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ, the very resource of heaven. The friend says, I need bread. And you want to help your friend, but a painful revelation hits you. You don't have any. However, you know someone who told you that you can come to them anytime and they will give you as much bread as you need. So Jesus paints this by saying, then they go to this other friend, knock on his door, and then they hear a disturbing cry from inside the house. And the cry says, leave me alone. My children are with me in bed. It's late. Come back another time. Jesus says, though that friend won't rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, God, the friend will rise up and give him as many as he needs. And so Jesus then looks at us and he says, so I say to you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. He says, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. 
And he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus taught us another lesson in prayer, not just walking through the open door, but here's the second one that I think is important for us. It's, it's knocking on closed doors till they get opened. Knocking on closed doors in the will of God till they get open. I'm talking about those doors that you know are the will of God for you. Those things he has spoken to you. Salvation, deliverance, healing, restoration, reconciliation, the breakthrough by the prophetic word. Whatever God has spoken, you know that's his will. And yet you encounter the resistance of the enemy, of people, of systems, and you encounter the resistance. And Jesus said, this is another lesson in prayer, not leaving. Not leaving until the door that is shut is opened. And Jesus introduces a word that I think is really important for us in this hour, and it's the word called persistence. Persistence. What keeps you knocking at the door of heaven when you feel resistance? Resistance from God, resistance from people, resistance from the circumstances? What keeps you knocking with confident expectation that God will move? I'll tell you what it is. It's by feeding ourselves on the nature of our Father, who he is, his generous heart, who we are to him, and we stay fueled and rooted and grounded in intimacy with him. And that's what keeps you in those long delay seasons of not seeing the breakthrough because there is a day of breakthrough because Jesus wants to do, hear me on this, Jesus wants to do more than just meet your individual need. It says this phrase, as many as he needs, which means this, he wants to do more than just meet your individual need. He actually wants to open the floodgate of heaven over you and release bread from heaven as much as you need whenever you need it for the rest of your life. See, some of you right now are in the midst of midnight wrestles. There are midnight wrestles that come to the door of your life that expose you. You weren't ready for them. It might be a marriage that was doing well and then it fell apart. Children that grew up in the things of God then fell away. A business that was doing well and now difficulty in finance. A ministry that's in difficulty. Circumstances that are in difficulty. And out of nowhere, you got driven to your knees as the painful revelation that you don't have the resource to get yourself out of this mess. That's what drives you into prayer just to find out God's not moving on your timetable. God's not moving on your timetable. What keeps you in the midnight wrestle? What keeps you there? It's clinging to God's promises, clinging to God's word, clinging to God's nature, knowing who he is, knowing what he said, and refusing to choose any other way to find relief or breakthrough outside of the will of God. You love God, I want your will. Friend, some of you are in your midnight wrestle and I want you to know on the other side of that door is not just God meeting your need, but a new ministry, a new business, a new breakthrough in something that God has spoken to you about. And I wanna tell you, take heart, don't retreat, keep knocking, keep asking and keep seeking because there is coming breakthrough. Heaven wants to release bread from heaven into your life and he wants to turn you 
into a distributor of the revelation of God in the very thing that you're walking through. I really feel like this word is for some of you that are watching this right now. This is how he teaches us in prayer. It's my desire for the city that you would become a regional equipper to the body of Christ in Singapore and in Southeast Asia in calling to the place of prayer, that you would restore a right view of God as Father, that you would restore a right revelation of Jesus as our eternal intercessor, that you would call the church out of just needs-based prayer and prayerless prayer and call us into intimacy-based prayer, connection with God prayer, that you would teach the body of Christ about the throne room, you would teach the body of Christ about persistence. Not, not like a widow screaming at an unjust judge, but a bride standing before a righteous judge. Oh, I believe that God wants to release a fresh wind in 2022. That God wants to breathe fresh life. I believe that we're in the midst of a great reformation in the body of Christ. And I believe that the place of worship and prayer is going from a backroom ministry with a few and it's becoming a front room ministry for all. And I believe that God wants to redistribute budget lines to begin to make room for the intercessors. He wants to begin to redistribute budget lines and schedules and that we spend less time trying to network and strategize and we spend more time in ministry to God. We spend more time in hosting his presence, spend more time in, in the place of prayer together and saying, God, we want to build on our knees, not with the newest strategies. I really believe that the days of having the cool strategies of church building and church planting and all the stuff, I believe they're coming to an end. And I believe presence-based churches, prayer-based churches are what the Holy Spirit is highlighting in this hour because it is the hour for prayer. It is the hour for prayer. It's the hour for that intercession to lay hold of us where the will of God, we get into the gap with Jesus and we labor for the will of God to be manifested in real time and real space in our worlds. Father, I pray right now for the city and I pray for the whole church of Singapore. God, I pray for the spirit of prayer to fall upon your people. I call for singers and musicians and intercessors God, I, I call forth fathers. I believe there's an anointing on men in this hour to begin to lead the place of prayer. Oh, I call forth women. I call forth children. I call forth teenagers. And God, I pray that you would release a prayer revival at the city, that you would use this apostolic house to, to uh, source the church in the region, to fill the church in the region with the revelation of God. Father, I pray that you would release your spirit upon the city. I pray for visitation here in this season at the beginning of the year. I pray for clarity from heaven. I pray for blueprints from heaven. I pray, God, that you would strategize around the place of prayer. God, I pray for your word to thunder this year. I pray for the lost to be saved, the sick to be healed, the oppressed to be delivered. God, I pray for your kingdom to touch down in Singapore. I pray for your glory to touch down in Singapore. Father, we just ask you right now that you would awaken your people. Touch our children, touch our youth. I thank you, Jesus. Release your power in the name of Jesus. 
Oh, we love you and we bless you. And I thank you, God. Singapore is so dear to your heart. Singapore is dear to my heart. And I pray that you would rest upon your people in the name of Jesus. I bless you, the city. I bless you, the leadership team. I bless you in this year. And I applaud you for taking this beginning of this year and giving it to the place of prayer. I honor you. I love you. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye-bye.